Welcome to Techno and Travel, the podcast of Tunes and Wings. My name is Sabine Spätling and today I take you on a journey with Luisa. New York bred and Paris-based DJ, vocalist and producer that stands for female power and sex positivity. We are talking about her podcast, her routines, her definition of spirituality, Paris and her new album Practice of Freedom. Luisa is really a woman with a tough journey and one that found balance in polarity. So enjoy! Thank you so much for taking the time for this interview today. I'm really excited from what I researched on the internet. You're a really interesting woman and um, <laughs> my first impression was that you really found the balance in polarity. So before we talk about this, about your new album, about um, spirituality and many other things, let's do a short check-in. How oh, are you check today? <laughs> <laughs> yes, how are you today and how has your day been so far? Uh, good question. Right now it's, it's really good, actually. I just, uh, I just got off a long call with a friend. Um, kind of doing 12-step work. So that was really like grounding. And prior to that, we did yoga and read. I have a very like rigid <laughs> schedule. Right now. So we, let me see. I practiced French and then I did like brain training activities so I don't like lose my mind in confinement. And then I meditated and did yoga and went for a run and then ate lunch with my boyfriend. Uh, and then, yeah, now we're talking. So it's been a very like holistic experience of, of the, the day so far. What about you? Um, yeah, also try to establish some kind of a routine during the pandemic. Um, so that's really important, I guess, so that because every day is like the other and to have some thing of that you can rely on and that you can look forward to. <clears throat> I think this is really important. So take out the rhythm that you uh, that you can kind of lean into. I try and I also need to manage to change or to yeah differentiate between weekdays and weekends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I My mean, favorite actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean you as a DJ, you probably don't have like in normal life, in that pandemic life, you don't really have that. Uh, every day day looks like this and a weekend day looks like this, right? So how do you like How does your everyday life look like right now? <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll speak kind of prior to the pandemic. Every day was a, like quite like it is now. I could kind of try and break it into like uh, spiritual and education, physical. And then I, in the afternoon, I can do like creativity and communication. So I can like at, do admin and answer emails and then try and write songs. And then weekends were for working and traveling, you know, <laughs> and now um, every day is kind of, the weekdays are kind of the same as they were just closer to home, obviously. And, um, now the weekends <laughs> are my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> It's, uh, like well, my partner and I wake up, eat breakfast. He takes out the dog. I do the same kind of like practice French and brain training. because I like, if I find a groove, I'm in the groove, you know? <laughs> and then we go back to bed for like three hours <laughs> and just like read and nap. And the, the dog who's normally, uh, she's crate trained. So she stays downstairs is allowed into the to nap with us in the bedroom. It's like paradise. <laughs> so um, basically the weekends are the same, except no training, which is fine. <laughs> 
That sounds heavenly. Really, really good. And back to bed is my favorite thing. <laughs> so do you live, because I read that you also have horses that you take care of. I do. I also read that you're living in Paris, but I guess it's a bit more on the outer circles, right? Yeah, they're in the Bois de Boulogne, so they're like, it's like a 35-minute bike ride one way to the kind of forest surrounding Paris. <laughs> And they're, they're, week, they're a weekday activity. <laughs> I share them with some people, so the other, the other people take care of them on the weekend. <laughs> so But, good. So yeah, it's like lots of things to do. <laughs> when did you actually move to France? Was it 2011? Uh, it was 2013, so I just actually, I think today, That's crazy. Today is my eight-year anniversary of, <laughs> of being here. But I was back and forth a lot in the first, like, five years. Mm -hmm. And then I finally got a visa in, I can't remember, 2017. Crazy. That's really yeah. a long time. Um, would my you French to be so bad, yes. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I have the same with Portuguese. I'm trying to learn. But right now it's like there's no need to talk to other people. So my motivation of learning is really zero. <laughs> I feel you. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. But do you really already feel at home? Would you say you feel really arrived in Paris? Um, I mean, I, I've been in this apartment. Like I moved around a lot in my first several years here. And then this apartment I've been in. Uh, since like 2016 and I feel like this is definitely like my home my nest and it's like my first like grown-up apartment where I had to get furniture that it feels Yay. like there are like different rooms for different things to do <laughs> it's very exciting it feels very adult um so that feels like home but it's like culturally the longer I stay the more I kind of can feel the difference And when I go back to America, it's both like familiar and also uncomfortable. <laughs> so there's this kind of, uh, you know, the expatriate or like immigrant riddle of like how to exist in multiple places at once culturally, which is because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily interested in like assimilating. I don't think that that's like... I don't, I personally, the French government would disagree, but I don't think this assimilation is a kind of valuable um, skill. I think it's, it makes a culture homogenous and dull. Um, but, but there's a lot of things about France, especially about Paris that I very much love. However, and that, that, but I didn't really understand what it meant to be American and what like an American value system meant until I moved here and kind of had a like a differentiation, like, oh, fuck, like, this is not where I'm from, you know, it's mm -hmm. not all like, it's, there's a lot of assumptions, and maybe you're experiencing this in Portugal that we make about how everybody is culturally. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of get placed in a position where that's not the kind of the ground zero truth of how interactions or food or romance is handled. And then it, it can feel very disorienting because you're mm -hmm. saying like, this is an apple. And they're like, this is an apple and holding up an orange. And you're like, mm. <laughs> yeah. you know. So what are the most cultural differences that you experienced? When, I, when I first came, dating was really confusing. Because <laughs> um, dating apps had just kind of started to blossom here. And... Um, 
prior to that, the way that young people would interact romantically or sexually was that they'd all hang out in like mixed groups. So there'd be like a bunch of boys and girls and people in between or whatever, like hanging out together and then kind of pairing off, right? <laughs> and I'm like, that's a situation that leads to my social discomfort. Like, I don't like, like, if we're going to be romantically involved or if I have a crush on someone, I want to hang out one-on-one. -on -one. You know, I want to go on a date. <laughs> or like, you know, if I, I was came from LA before I was in, in Paris, so I was like, we'll go for a hike. We'll go for coffee. Like I'm a sober person. So I was dating a lot of sober people. So it's not like drinking and dancing, but it was very disorienting to like not know how to like to assimilate or not know how to like socialize romantically or like express interest in someone because there was not a culture of dating. This was very confusing. Mm -hmm. um, and also that, that like once you've kind of paired off, you're like, in a, there's no, in, in America, we have something called like, a uh, was it a DTR, a define the relationship conversation where you're like, what is this? <laughs> and in France, it's just assumed that like, you're seeing each other. And this is now like, this is now the person that you're sleeping with. And in America, we're like, you're sleeping with, you're like, you're, you're, just, you're seeing lots of people, <laughs> you know? And so that was also very confusing of like, th there's like a lot of weird grand romantic gestures. And like, it was, so there was like a date would be like nine hours long and you're like no no no, this is supposed to be a 20 minute coffee so i can see if i'd like to see you in the future ever again you know not oh, like wow. a boat ride and a flower it's like <laughs> this is baffling oh. so the <laughs> it was very confusing and i think part of the reason that i kind of got into um like a the any kind of kink scene or got interested in that because it, it allowed me to self-define relationship boundaries and like what interactions looked like like and explicitly define rules of like this is what is happening right now not this like vague confusing mm -hmm. multicultural like shit show <laughs> yeah so good and like in that time on maybe dates or even after with your partner did you um, I don't know, pick like three spots in and around Paris that you pre-COVID really loved and um, yeah, I don't know, picked as your favorite spots. Uh, that's interesting. My partner and I, like the person I'm, I've been in a relationship with for like four, four and a half years now, like we met on an app <laughs> that I so he's um, French. So he's French, which is the first like French person I've ever been in a relationship with. But it, it's so we started out with quite like explicit rules, which was nice. It made me feel safe. <laughs> yeah. But there's I live near a beautiful park called the Bouchemont, and this there's like um, in our relationship we've since adopted a dog. But our first date was in this park because you know it's good to have like an activity. <laughs> So now we go to the park every day with the dog because there's a real fantastic dog party <laughs> every morning, <laughs> afternoon, and night. So that would be like number one, two, and three okay. probably is the boot channel. Um, but yeah, I don't, it's interesting. Like, I like I <laughs> I'm a creature of convenience, so it's I'm not too. I don't like the adventures I like to go on are not, <laughs> not that exciting. I'm like, my job is adventurous. Fuck you. <laughs> so it's like the park, the canal, which is also walking distance from the house <laughs> and has like movie theaters and is pretty. Um, and then a third, a third, I mean, 
I'm like a date nightmare because I like activities that are outside. I don't like, I'm, I'm like a super picky. I'm just like a terrible date person. But also a very cheap for the other part. Or no drinking, <laughs> just like challenging food choices. There yeah. is a really great, um, there's a great uh, Israeli restaurant called Miznan. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's very loud and very crowded. Miznon, M-I-Z-N-O-N. I think they're doing a takeout now, but it's like, it's mostly, veg no, they do have meat. They have vegetarian and meat options, which just makes it good for taking people that you don't know there. It's very loud and very busy and they yell at you. Like they're really, the staff is really mean. <laughs> so I like this as like a social test of like, oh, it's part of the fun. Like, how do you deal with like when someone's screaming at you? <laughs> as you're trying to closer or ignore this other person. options. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good litmus test of like, is this cool? <laughs> so good. how do you do under stress? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so um, actually what you said before already comes back to that point polarity and um, finding the balance in all these different worlds from having the quiet adult life um, to the club um, DJ life. Um, And a word that I read as well in your podcast, and we will talk about it later, as well as in your biography, is spirituality. And I would say spirituality is some people have the stereotype in mind of just smiling, happy people, bright colors, and everything's good and no worries. Um, when listening to your music, which I would describe more as dark and heavy. Um, and, but yeah, like talking to you, I perceive you as grounded, reflected and conscious woman. And one, Likewise. <laughs> one could think that this dark and heavy sound is really in contrast to that. Um, would you say you found balance in those polarities? I mean, I think that that kind of nails it. Like, um, you know, especially around the album, I've been doing a lot of press and this, this question of darkness keeps coming up. I'm like, wow, <laughs> what's with that? But obviously like the music is very, uh, it is very dark. It's, it's quite heavy. And I don't, I like, I don't think dark is a pejorative. Like I, I feel like, um, both spiritually, spiritually and kind of emotionally in dealing with my own mental health and my own kind of, um, path through addiction and recovery and self-harm or, you know, like life, you know, <laughs> that um, the I've done a lot of quote unquote shadow work, which is like really being in contact and exploring fearlessly the darker stuff to not like, not to live there necessarily, not to be, you know, like, um, coming ex exclusively from a dark place but to accept yeah but to yeah. be in to, to be in um symphony with it you know to be so it's not a cacophony so it's like we're in the dialogue so i can use this part of myself to make stuff you know and to hopefully be of service to others because i like I, i was just talking to a friend before before we got on the phone and she was talking about how much she hated like positive mental attitude 
<laughs> she was, I mean, she was really like on one about it. She's like, like, fuck turning gray skies blue. Like, <laughs> and I mean, I'm not quite that, like, I'm not quite there, but I do think that there is, if we only focus on kind of happiness as the goal, we lose a lot of richness, both socially and personally in like, for me, what I, what I call a higher power. If I use the shorthand, shorthand of God, like where is God in my anger or in my darkness or in my grief, you know, like if I can't touch into that as an active part of my experience, then when those things come for me, which undoubtedly they will, you know, because life is happening, like then I won't have any tools, you know, but if I can be, if I can acknowledge that as part of myself and part of my experience and something that in which there is like nourishment and grounding and truth, then it can be very useful. That is so beautiful, really. <laughs> really like finding i mean because like what what you experienced and what many people experienced some really would like this would be the the end of the road but you were really strong enough to gain power out of that time and to use it as your tool to say yes fully to yourself right and to make this to also bring the artistic side of it and to really make music out of it and to bring all those feelings, <laughs> like all of them, because they're also more quiet um, tracks, but they're also really like numb, for example. It's really like machine guns and everything. <laughs> Barking um, dogs, you know. <laughs> so bring it all together, right? So I really admire that. Um, yeah, so we had talked about your podcast before. Um, you're known for your strong female voice, which I really love. And um, yeah, in the podcast Sober Sex, you're talking with your friend Rose about, let me read it, spiritual life that's integrated in intimacy. So first question, how do you define spirituality for yourself? And tell us a bit about a podcast. Um. That's a big question. <laughs> I mean, I think for me, it can be very off-putting to kind of hear people like talk, like this is actually another cultural kind of difference is that especially getting, for me, I got sober in America, in California, where like when we say higher power or God as kind of the, the basis of the spiritual experience that towards which the 12 steps function, right? In terms of talking about recovery, like everybody's like, it's a crystal, it's a dolphin, it's a doorknob, it's the sky, it's the ocean. It can be like literally whatever. And when you say God in France, people are like, so you mean Jesus Christ? <laughs> And also we hate religion. <laughs> um, like, so, and I think when, the, if you ask spiritual questions it, within the culture that I've come to know here, it, it's quite, um, it's a very intimate question, right? Like people don't really talk about what their relationship with their God concept is. And that's cool. However, <laughs> I came up in, in a culture where it was very kind of loosely held, like hippy dippy, like can be really whatever, as long as it's not me. Um, and that's not to say that it doesn't kind of exist within me. But for me, I think that the easiest is like, it's love. I mean, it sounds cheesy, but like, and And that's not, like you said, the kind of light, fluffy, cloud, pancake, blowjob love. It's like something very um, rich and 
wise and can mean making hard decisions for the greater good. You know, it's, it's much more um, like ferocious <laughs> um, in terms of like a loving kindness practice of like, what does it look like to be kind and loving to all I encounter today? Like that's the kind of, I guess, baseline of the spiritual, the, the spiritual life I'm trying to live, you know, trying <laughs> being the, the active word there. Um, and then how that works with sober sex is that, you know, um, for a long time in, as I mentioned, recovery, it was like, I thought I had the misunderstanding that um, in order to kind of be, to have, to be aligned with spiritual principles, quote unquote, within my sex life, I had to kind of be like Pollyanna, you know, like, like a nun. <laughs> I mean, not, I, and that wasn't even a conscious thought. That was just like an assumption that I privately held, you know, and um, which meant that a lot of parts of me got kind of not severed, but like shut away in terms of my own um, sexuality, my own desires, my own ability to advocate for my sexual needs. Like if they didn't fit into this very narrow box of what I thought being a good girl was like, um, they, they didn't get listened to or counted. And so it wasn't until I had about a decade sober <laughs> that, um, because I, I, I hooked up with somebody who was also sober, who I, whose recovery I really respected and they were into BDSM, which I had always like theoretically liked and been interested in, but never had had kind of been able to take ownership of. And, um, and I found out that in fact, like my experience within that was very empowering. It was very um, inspirational and creative and illuminated a lot of my own needs and my own sexual appetites that I had, had not been able to kind of acknowledge or, or listen to before. And I realized that like the higher power of my understanding, like the part of my spiritual life that is connected to sex it, that wasn't the thing that was blocking me from all this like ripe information. It was, it was me. It was my old ideas about old fucking patriarchal paradigms about what's acceptable to like or to want, you know? So in, in a, a 12 step process, we do something called a sex inventory as part of a fourth step, which basically is like the, the, the point part of which is to, um, check in with a sex ideal, which is basically like asking your higher power, your idea of God, what it would, what a sane and sound quote unquote sex life would look like. Like, who do I want to show up as in relationship, be it like committed romantic relationship, be it hookup, be it full blown partnership, you know, like who do I want to be, you know? And I realized I was doing, I was cutting, selling my relationship with my higher power short. I was selling myself short by not acknowledging this like incredible source of power that was my sexuality, you know, cause if I can't be in touch with the things that I actually want, how on earth am I going to articulate them to my partner? How on earth am I going to kind of like draw creative energy from it? How can I live in a way that's like in touch with this vital erotic energy, you know? So long story short, we started, <laughs> we, we did a, um, started a women's meeting around that, which has been so fucking awesome. It's been like, 
one of the most profound and illuminating experiences of my life to be on a weekly basis, kind of touching base with all these awesome women about what they're walking through and what they're dealing with in terms of this, like what their spiritual awakening looks like within their sexuality in sobriety. Um, and then we started to like, we want to talk to everybody about this. So what, what's next to do, but start a podcast. <laughs> and I mean, it's interesting because I'm definitely like, I've very, been very enthusiastic and, and like open about my exploration of, of kink and what that looks like in my life. And Rose is not like, that's not necessarily her proclivity, but like, <laughs> she's my best friend and she's also sober and she's a, a sober coach and like a life coach. So she's the more qualified of the two. Um, but yeah, it's been such a, it's been so wonderful to have these conversations about people of all genders and races and backgrounds and experiences, sober or sober curious or sober just for today to, to ask them about what their sex life looks like. Because like, I realize as long as it's in shadow, like as long as we're not talking about it and it's kind of taboo and like off the table of conversation, then we can never exchange the necessary information that might lead to each other's liberation, you know, you know, cause this can be so like tight and traumatized and painful and scary and shameful. And like, what if it wasn't? <laughs> it's so, so good that you're addressing this topic because now I really feel it's time that we change something about this paradigm of how sex has to be. Mm -hmm. Not that, how every porn looks like um, but really also see on the female side of this wonderful act actually and to embrace other point of views so I, I said it earlier I tuned in your first episode um, briefly it's really amazing I loved your voices I loved how you address this topic so I can really highly recommend this podcast I think DJ Rebecca also was an interview guest right yeah 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 and it was I mean it's it's been very interesting how kind of this idea of sober sex or this idea of like what does it look like to heal together? You know, what does it look like to kind of move, like move it into a consent culture, you yeah. know, as opposed to a rape culture. And I realize if we can't kind of name this stuff and advocate for our own needs and really seek kind of embodiment and communication, then it will be very, very difficult to even figure out what the fuck that might look like. Like we, as part of the um, Me Too music, um, Rebecca's initiative around uh, and like moving away from rape culture within the dance music industry. She, we, there, we, there was a, there's a rape culture pyramid, you know, that like starts with um, ghost grinding and dick pics and ends with, you know, rape and sexual assault. Like, the kind of escalating um, cultural norms that lead into a culture where that's somehow acceptable, right? Um, or even if it's not acceptable, it's fucking happening. So the question of like, what does the opposite of that look like? Like, what does a consent culture pyramid look like? And I feel like it's so, it's been so important to have these conversations around sober sex um, that just kind of give us a broader spectrum of like possibility and like how to, yeah, how to connect, connect free from shame, you know, with this part of ourselves and with, with each other. And it's, so it's been really, it's been very beautiful, but also like, oh my God, 
<laughs> so much trauma. <laughs> Everybody has so much trauma. Bless. And like, I didn't think I was like, you know, had issues. And it turns out that like, there's so much stuff to kind of weed through. But, you know, it's like, it's always the one. same with uh, personal development. You think everything's <laughs> fine. Then once you start to dig deeper, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Inside this onion that I've just peeled is another onion. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about your album, which will be out mid of March, um, Practice of Freedom. Uh, I had the luck to tune in and um, I think one can really hear your journey. And that is, as we said before, coined by pain, but also that rose into a strong and feminine uh, woman that is true to herself and her voice. Um, so what does the album title mean to you? Um, thank you, first of all, for your kind words. I feel very seen. <laughs> uh, and I, that makes me feel really nice that people are connecting to it in that way. Um, for me, like there's kind of two, two branches in terms of the practice of freedom. One is my own experience with what I would call practices of freedom. You know, for me, it's like, what work am I doing today to become liberated and to help liberate others? And that includes, you know, personal like explorations of, of BDSM or, you know, like what, what does it look like on a, a tangible daily basis to practice freedom, right? And on the other hand, <laughs> it's, um, It, the name itself comes from a bell hooks book, which is called um, teaching to grant teaching to transgress. The, um, and the, the sub subtitle is the practice of freedom. And um, I really love bell hooks. If you're not familiar, she's like a, a amazing uh, black feminist author and academic. And she's just like makes ideas that are challenging, very palatable and, and writes so lovingly about how um, education is liberation and how to create uh, communities of, while transgressing and interrupting the dominant culture, which of course is the white supremacist patriarchy <laughs> that I think I'm <laughs> mentioning in every single fucking interview I do. Um, but this idea of like the practice of freedom is, is disruptive, but it's also ferociously loving and it's about not so much my own liberation but about how can my practice of freedom liberate others so highly recommended all works by bell hooks we love her <laughs> um but yeah it felt especially like in this moment um important to name that as an influence because i feel like if we if we take political moment that there is the possibility of inherent liberation And if we don't, we're fucked. <laughs> so, you know, it's it though that rec this record has been ready to be released for about two years. And, um, you know, it was named that kind of from inception. The it feels very um, relevant to this moment. Um, the one track out of this album, Numb, video um, got released some days ago. We talked about this one earlier. It sounds like uh, machine guns, really dark, really heavy grief and almost frightening. Um, the lyrics are, or one sentence of the lyrics are, what must I do to feel this really? And my question was, what is this? What do you mean by this? What do you want to feel? 
feel or? Um, you know, I, as somebody who, I, the more I kind of spend, spend time with learning how to feel my feelings in the present moment in my body, which is like, that's a lot of outside help. That's a lot of therapy. Um, the more aware I'm becoming of my own kind of both desire for intensity and desire for entire numbness. Like that's what my addiction is about. That's what uh, so many of my kind of coping mechanisms, right? What we call creative adjustments <laughs> of like how to survive feeling, feeling so many feelings all the time. Like I remember being really quite young, like probably before I was 20 feeling like constantly I was on the edge of like overflowing with my feelings, like a cup running over, like, and entirely empty, like as, as empty as like a bell, you know, like I, I felt hollow. And, um, so this is like, how can I actually come into contact with what's happening right now? You know, and it, it's been very elusive <laughs> and taken a lot of work, but I'm finding, especially like my experience of songwriting, like that song was written a long, like a long time ago. Like it, came, it was a very like, when I'm numb, come undone. It was very kind of like blase, like super low key um, in its first inception. And then has kind of grown, it, it, it grew with collaboration with Vice Cooler who produced the record into this like monster of a track. <laughs> and um, I find that when I write a song, I don't really know what it's about until after the fact. So it's like a premonition or it's like a prayer. And in this case, like I had no idea like the, how much I was missing by constantly escaping how I was feeling all the time, you know? So like this track in this form is proving to be about like contact. Like, can I hold my anger? You know, can I make contact with my anger? or my fear, or my sadness. And like, often like, fuck no. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, I realize that the, if I push stuff down, which is my kind of typical, typical favorite activity, like if I stuff my feelings down, <laughs> let me go into the screen, let me run as fast as I can. Let me, you know, let me, let me physically train so hard that I can't, that I'm too tired to feel anything that like, it doesn't go away. It just gets louder because it's a need, you know, it needs to be felt and dealt with and then it'll move like a storm. But until I actually come into contact with it, it's gonna be fucking like growing quietly inside of me. So yeah, the track is, this is like, can I actually feel the thing I need to feel? <laughs> That's so interesting. Right now. <laughs> Like this whole album is uh, such an incredible journey. I can really recommend it to everyone tuning in. Congratulations <laughs> on that work. Um, yeah, also, thank you so much for this interview. We are actually already at the end. It felt like 10 minutes. So fast. <laughs> thank you for having me. But at the end, is there anything you would like to share that I didn't ask you? Maybe some things that you're working on right now. Great question. <laughs> um, I mean, there's some there's some exciting collaborations coming up. I think there's one with Peter Mannerfeld and Manny D coming up. Um, you know, it's I. That's not what I'm supposed to be talking about. 
I love this record. I hope you love this record. It's like the pride and joy of my existence. Hopefully we get to play it live as a band soon. Your questions were amazing and like really thoughtful. And I really appreciate the, the time and, and intention and curiosity you put into this interview. So that's it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're a really interesting person and hope we meet soon anytime. Um, I yes, don't know please. I love Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, come over. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you so much for this interview and hope to see you soon. Thank you for having me. Namaste. <laughs> Luisa is really an outstanding woman. I enjoyed the interview with her so much and I just can recommend tune in her podcast. It's called Sober Sex. You can find it everywhere from iTunes to Spotify and yeah. Also, her new album will be out on the 12th of March. So this one might be on your list as well. Reach out to Tunes and Wings either on Instagram, on Facebook. I can't wait for your feedback. It would be amazing connecting with you online. Thank you so much for listening. Rock and roll and stay tuned. <laughs>